Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6. And uh, bittersweet, I, I think this is our last message on Ephesians. I, I'd be pretty sure that it is. I mean, it's not like we'll never turn to the book again. I'll be like, that passage is in Ephesians 4, 23. You know that one. You've got it all memorized, right? <clears throat> Let's begin with prayer and let's uh, convey to God our gratitude for all that he's done and for who he is and uh, for um, the ability to take in his word with humility, reverence, and to just be awed by him. And so with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are, your holiness, your will that you have given to us, this method of prayer by which we can communicate with you. It is an amazing thing that we can speak directly to the Creator Almighty, to you, Father, and call you, Father, that all of us together are your children, your sons and daughters. And we are so through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's why we pray in His name. It's by His work, His sacrifice, that we can do this. That we can learn Your Word, that we can worship You, that we can know You, and that we can speak with You. And through Your Word, hear You speak to us. What amazing gifts we have, Father, with You. Though we know, Father, that we are often distracted by other things in this world that at times tempt us to uh, consider them as more important than our relationship with you, material things, we know that you will give us our daily bread. You will give us exactly what we need for today. And that is your will, Father, not ours. So thank you for taking care of us in the way that you do. And we thank you for your word. We ask, Father, as we complete this amazing book, that you'd impress upon our hearts the, the truth that your servant, the Apostle Paul, is conveying to us in his last lines. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we end here at the benediction, which is really verses 23 and 24 of chapter 6. It's full of importance because of the words that Paul uses. There's four of them here, uh, four nouns. Peace, love, uh, faith, and grace. And there's a final, the final appeal to the reader is to never forget that we are to love the Lord Jesus Christ with a, you could say, pure love. There's a lot of ways we could interpret the word here, but it, it really means immortal uh, is the word. We'll see that. Uh, you call it eternal love. Well, it sounds more poetic. Uh, everlasting, and whatever you want to do. But you'll see it when you when you see the word; it'll come together nicely. Um, 
So the benediction is full of importance. And the close of such a great letter, again, maybe the greatest letter ever written, uh, would succinctly focus on important key elements within the letter. And we're going to look at that just a little bit as we as we finish up. Uh, Paul doesn't only hear speak of peace. He opens the letter with grace and peace to you in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he speaks of love. He speaks of peace. He speaks of unity. He speaks of faith. And all of these things are throughout the letter. Uh, and so... Uh, Verse 23 is, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to those, or all those, it should be all, that word is there, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a, with, uh, uh, sorry, in in corruption. Uh, The second love there, I'll show you this, uh, I think I showed it yesterday, we'll show it again, that that second love, Love in verse 24 isn't actually in the original. There, there isn't a noun, love. The translators are adding it, and it's not a bad thing to add it. It's uh, they're adding it by their conviction. These translators' conviction that the word incorruptible or immortal uh, goes with love, and not with the other words in the sentence. So there's two other nouns in the sentence. There's the proper noun. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, it could go with that, or immortal could go with grace, uh, which is the first word in the sentence, charis. Uh, And, you know, there's arguments that would bore you to tears on uh, which one it goes with and and why. Uh, I would say it definitely goes with those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, love him, are to love him with an immortal, incorruptible, uh, and we'll see the word in other places it's used. First off, we have peace, and peace and love attend one another. And that is because if we don't have love in our hearts first, we're not going to have peace with others. And even if they don't respond in kind to our offer of peace, we'll still be at peace with them. And that's the magnificence of this divine love, immortal love, or what we know as agape love. Peace and love attend to one another, but peace, we must understand that peace springs from love, while love rests on faith. And we'll see that here in a second. All three nouns, peace, love, and faith, have played a crucial role in Paul's discussion of God's redemptive plan in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peace (coughs) is gained through Christ and his death on the cross. And therefore, peace does come by the love of God. We're reconciled to the Father. We're reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. And so by his death on the cross and his resurrection, he has reconciled all believers, not just to God, as if that would be enough, but for us to one another. Uh, Our love for one another is a manifestation of our love for God. And they're going to go hand in hand. You say, I love God, but I hate everybody else. You've got an issue there. You've got an issue with your love of God. So the peace was true in that it overthrew the ingrained and intense hostility of the groups of people in the church. And the first uh, place of of hostility was ethnic uh, in the church between Jew and Gentile. Uh, and uh, 
and not by so much by religion because once Jews converted, Jews and Christians got along fine, right? So it's it's not so much that I hate you because you're a Jew. It's or not not hate, sorry, but uh, that there's a conflict between Jew and Gentile. There's a there's a conflict there that uh, stems from an ethnicity, uh, and that was overcome by love. We see this. Uh, in Ephesians 2.14, where Paul declared that Christ is our peace, for he brought the Jew and the Gentile together, creating one new humanity through the cross. And that's in Ephesians 2.14-17. through 17. It's This amazing bringing together of people who were had such animosity towards one another for, for generations. And they... Um, and, and the ability of other Jew, the Jews who converted to continue to love their fellow Jews who hated them, who had not converted. And that was an issue we read in Romans chapter 9, how Paul is heartbroken over the fact that his fellow Israelites had not come to Christ and uh, the ones who didn't. And he even says that he would rather be accursed himself by God if he could save them. Uh, and, uh, and so still, this, you know, the love of God overcomes every difference, uh, whether it's racial, whether it's ethnic, whether it's uh, you know, even religious, um, in any ways, political, in ways that people can be different, gender or whatever, whatever people make their differences out of. Uh, love overcomes all things. And so it is the perfect unifier. <clears throat> now, when it comes to making peace with others, with the kingdom of darkness, there is no possibility of a peace treaty. There's, no, there's nothing that we could do uh, that. And, and even the believers who live worldly are not at peace with the devil. Um, you know, if they, they're, the, the devil would rather live us worldly, but even if we do, he still hates us. Uh, there's no peace to be made with the enemy. The only peace that exists is in the body of Christ and, of course, with our Lord. So peace and love go together. You will not have peace with others if you don't have love in your heart. The, and I mean God's love, the love that Paul is talking about here. Uh, it's a love that sees others as more important uh, than we are. It's a love that is kind always. It's a love that is uh, more powerful than any difference, any slight, any insult, uh, any even physical harm. Jesus hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Where did that come from? That's from divine love. Uh, So, Peace and love go together. So just as Paul writes it here, peace be to the brethren. And it's the only time that he uses the third person in his, in his sign-off, and his benediction. <clears throat> peace be to the brethren, brethren and love with faith. We'll see faith here coming up in a second. Uh, so go back to Ephesians 1-2. This will be kind of a stroll down memory lane. Ephesians 1-2 is like, I, even I don't remember being in Ephesians 1-2. It was like two years ago. <clears throat> Ephesians 1-2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes first. God's favor to us, God's gifts to us, and then peace. He never reverses this. He never says peace and grace. It's always grace and peace. Now, this peace binds, uh, the peace of Christ binds believers in unity. Go to Ephesians 4.3. I don't know why I'm not reading the whole passage. Read it in context. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace to the brethren. That's what Paul wants for us. In our hearts, peace. No conflict, no division, no rulership of the flesh. To have peace in our hearts, we've got to overcome and that's why peace, yeah, it's, pro- it's a progressive thing. You get more peace as time goes on if you're growing in grace and knowledge. So don't, I mean, if you, don't, if you think you don't have enough peace, I don't think I have enough peace, that, uh, you know, don't give up hope. You know, it's coming. If you grow with him, and that this is what God is doing, and giving us his word, inviting us to pray to him, to speak with him, to have a relationship with him, He's inviting us into the sphere of the Trinity. He's inviting us into the place of perfect peace. And um, if we keep pursuing that, as God said through Jeremiah, if we seek him with all our heart, we'll find him. So in verse 3, we're diligent. That uh, word means to make every effort, spudazo in the Greek, to preserve the unity of the unity of the spirit in the bond of so we'll, we'll be back here when we do our study on the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church, which will be in a bit. Uh, <clears throat> then, secondly, love causes us to support one another. So the benediction, again, is peace to the brethren uh, in love through faith. In verse 2, Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. So our forbearance to one another in love is to support one another, put other put one another first, consider others as more important. And if I may take a page out of my own playbook lately, because prayer has become far more important to me uh, lately in that if I find my, my mind uh, not doing what it should do, I pray immediately. Uh, I just and it only takes a few seconds or maybe a minute at most that I talk to God about this bad mental attitude, and it comes back because it refocuses. You can do this anywhere. That's why we're we're believer priests, the temple of God with God indwelling us. You could be in the car. You could be just getting up in the morning. You could be in the midst of talking to someone, and and you find yourself getting, I don't know, selfish or anxious or or worried or angry or bitter or whatever, then go straight to the throne of God. Don't wait. And and just be in His presence. Uh, Faith and love 
Again, in our Peace to the Brethren and Love with Faith is Ephesians 3.17. We're going to start at uh, verse 14 and see this. Uh, it, this faith, obviously faith is of extreme importance. Uh, and that's why it's love with faith, not faith with love. I think the point here that Paul is making is that without faith, we won't ever have love. So we've got to believe what God says of us, says of himself. And, you know, in his word, to, you know, to have no animosity towards God. So it's amazing that his creatures, us little piddly little things running around here on this piddly little planet, are actually mad at God because he hasn't either done enough, which is crazy, <laughs> You know, he's not good enough. He hasn't given us enough or whatever. Or he kind of messed things up, maybe, you know. Didn't make me the way that I, sh- I, I think I should be. Um, and, and we get angry or animosity towards God. Uh, when we consider what God wants us to do, like the commandments, for instance. Why are those commandments there? We'll find ourselves ignoring some and accepting others. The ones we like, easily accepted. The ones we don't like, easily ignored. And, you know, when we say, uh, like as the Lord taught us to pray, your will be done, doesn't that mean his whole will? And in, when, you, when you ponder that line that he gave us, that petition, you know, in that is a chance for confession because that's coming up. You know, give us, our, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and iniquities, um, you know, that, you know, what parts of his will don't I do? And, and you'll find that you have quite a few things to confess there, uh, which before God is no condemnation. That's what's beautiful about confession and repentance before God is that there's no condemnation in that, that it's us recognizing and therefore talking to our father about the things that he has commanded us. What do we understand about those commands and why do we have them and why don't we keep them? And you can talk to him about that all the time. And you'll have plenty to talk about. (laughs) Right? So our Lord's prayer that you can say in a minute and a half opens up for us, you know, over our lifetime, days of prayer in which... You know, we're communicating with our Father. And, and the Father's going to answer those things. Unless we don't want to hear it. I'm sure he'll, he'll tell us anyway, because he's a good parent. <laughs> right? We do that with all our kids. Uh, and he'll discipline us if we don't want to hear it, like a good parent. But if we never get to the point where we want to understand why, You know, why the command? What does it mean? Why for me? Why do I break it? Uh, Then, you know, we're not going to get very far in the Christian life. So, uh, and this, this gets to the love of God. Faith in his word, faith in his commands. And even though I don't keep them all, and I break them, uh, but I have faith in them, changes the from animosity to love. So I'm not perfectly obedient, but I love him and his commands. 
So where does the love of God come from? It comes from faith in all that God is and that we currently know. Faith in everything we currently know. One cannot make the love of God within himself by his own will. No one can say, I'm a brand new believer. I'm going to love God now. You can't force yourself to do it. The love of God comes from the knowledge of God. And uh, there's other passages we can turn to, but I want to stay, excuse me, stay in Ephesians. So look at Ephesians 3.14. Paul, in his prayer, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, I would make the translation there, the whole family, speaking of the royal family only, not every family on earth, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. So this isn't the faith of salvation, because he's, he's not. this isn't a salvation prayer. I hope that you get saved. No, he's writing to believers. This is the faith that is bringing strength. And that faith comes from faith in God's Word. It comes from faith in that commands are proper for me and, and that they're the only commands for me. That's faith. It doesn't mean I keep them all. It means I want to. I mean, I want to be perfectly sinless. We all should. Uh, that's not a legalistic concept. We're not to break God's laws. But, you know, we understand as God even, thank God, communicates to us don't ever say you're sinless, because you're not. But so this this faith in those commands and this faith in His will, and we understand from prophecy that there will come a time when the entire universe is under God's will and nobody breaks it. That is the end. So might as well get with it now, right? So um, the 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 faith in that is what makes me strong. And faith in that doesn't grieve the Spirit. Because when I sin, I grieve the Spirit. But as I confess and get back in line, you know, I'm, I'm again with the Spirit, or the Spirit empowering me and guiding me, doing what God, what His role is in the Trinity for me. So uh, that's how faith, has inner strength and that Christ is at home in our hearts or dwelling. Uh, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. So there you see in verse 18, you have faith and love together. Being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Uh, nobody actually knows what Paul is saying there about these four dimensions. Some thinks the plan of God. Some thinks it's God itself. Uh, I link it to love because it's bookended. Actually, there's love in verse 17 and there's love in verse 19. And so, but God is love. So it's the breadth, length, height, and depth of, of God, of his revealed self, of his love, um, of the, the plan of God for the church. They all fit. And I think that's why God does. Uh, that's why Paul doesn't throw in a, a noun there. 
I mean, they're all nouns, but they're all modifiers of, of what? Because they're all measurements. So um, I think he leaves that out because it's the dimension of all things that God is to us. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What an astounding phrase. Uh, what is the fullness of God? He's infinite. I can be filled up to the fullness of God. Uh, it doesn't make me God, but it means that my life, the one that God, and, you know, in the next line, it's exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, is the life that God has given us. And it fills us. I don't see, I don't see that a whole lot different than the filling of the Spirit, other than in Ephesians 5.18, the filling of the Spirit is a command. This is not but it's still the fullness of God, the fullness of the Spirit. We see the fullness of Christ in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Um, and that is the fullness of the Trinity in the life of a believer. It's an astounding concept. And where would that come from? You know, What would make me full? It's knowledge. It's, it's all together. You know, it's, it's everything here. It's, yeah, I'll deal with that when we get there. But it's, it's not a procedure to turn the lights on. It's walk with him, obey him, have faith in him. And when you don't, stop doing what you're doing and thinking what you're thinking and, and get back to it, knowing that you're completely forgiven. So the love of God springs forth from knowing the Father and the Son um, you see, in 1 John chapter 2 spells this out magnificently, but for the sake of time. Uh, <clears throat> knowing the Father is loving the Father. That's how John writes it. Uh, the ability given by the Holy Spirit to live the spiritual life, which is the life of Christ in Ephesians chapter 3, enables us to know the Father and the Son and from them comprehend the unfathomable depth of their love. The love of God for us is unfathomable. And it's a lifelong learning of God's love for you. I was looking at this today, reading some passages that you know, say that God the Father loves us like he loves his son, Jesus Christ. All right? Look in the mirror and say, God loves me just like he loves his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect one who never sinned, who is the only truly qualified son of God. But through his death, sacrifice and resurrection, he made us sons and daughters and gave us this entrance, this this existence in God's holy tabernacle in heaven. Call it his throne room, call it the Holy of Holies, whatever you want to call it. We're all there. All by faith in Christ as our Savior. Astounding. So, uh, we are not to gain knowledge for the sake of knowledge. That doesn't mean don't gain knowledge. You need to get as much of it as you can. I mean, knowledge of the Scripture. There's other knowledges, too, that are, that are helpful in life. Uh, but knowledge for the sake of knowledge is not the plan. Knowledge is designed to show us God and then to progressing then to progress, sorry, to have God's way become our own way. Hence, the love of God surpasses knowledge, as Paul just wrote. 
If I have a bunch of knowledge, there's plenty of people who go to seminaries, universities, people who are filled with biblical knowledge, uh, and they don't love God. They don't love people. As I, Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. They don't love the brethren. That's in 1 John as well. They're people who hate. But they consider themselves Bible scholars, yet they hate their fellow man. That's not love. If I had the knowledge to move mountains and the faith to move mountains and I did not have love, Paul wrote, I am nothing. So amongst the brethren, right? It's Now, before you leave Ephesians 3, Christ may dwell in your hearts in verse 17. So that's a home. That word dwell means to be at home. Uh, and that kind of that's a nice imagery for this what Paul's conveying here because we're all every believer is indwelt by Christ but does every believer have Christ the knowledge of Christ the uh, uh, the understanding of Christ the love of Christ in their heart not all believers have that and that's what's in view here so what Paul gives us here is an image of Christ at home in our hearts. It could be translated that way. Which, of course, made me think of one of my favorite passages uh, in John 14. So go to John chapter 14. Amongst us, now again, in the Lord's Prayer, this is going to be speaking on this a lot because I'm working on it very hard. Uh, it's our Father when he instructs us to pray, not my Father. And, and that, what does that mean? Uh, we don't have the Lord here to tell us, but we have the rest of the New Testament to tell us that it's the body of Christ. And we saw this in Ephesians 4, that we're not isolated. Right, we, you have been given a spiritual gift to equip the brethren. Uh, and, uh, and, and then he speaks of the body of Christ, how we're perfectly knit together so that we supply one another. Uh, you know, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We support one another, pray for one another, uh, give to one another, and we're unified as we just read in Ephesians 4, with humility and forbearance and love, we give deference to one another, we support one another. And and so it's our home. But in my heart, if, you know, if I'm going to be a part of that uh, properly, let's say using my spiritual gift for the equipping of others, if I don't have the love of God in my heart, I might do it sometimes. I might do it when it's expected. I might do it when someone's looking. I might do it because I feel kind of guilty. But I'm never going to really do it. And so look at John 14, 19. And after a little while, the world, this is Jesus' upper room. Or the night before he died. We don't know exactly if he's in the upper room at this point, but... Uh, after a little while, while the world will behold me no more, sorry, yeah, while the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. 
Now, the disciples' heads have got to be splitting this night. I can't imagine it. What they thought they understood. (laughs) Jesus already told them in chapter 13, just, you know, maybe an hour, two hours before this, that where I'm going, you can't come. Right? But then he says, you will behold me. But then he, he conditions it here, because I live, you shall live also. And what they don't understand, what they will understand, is that Jesus is going to indwell every one of them after he ascends into heaven, at Pentecost. They're going to get the Holy Spirit to indwell them. Uh, They're going to have the Word of God, and they're going to have a fellowship and a relationship with him that they could have never dreamed. Because if he doesn't leave, they don't get, and we don't get the Holy Spirit. Right? He said, I'm your helper, but when I go, I'm sending another helper. And by doing that, he, in saving us and giving us the Spirit and indwelling us himself, making us the temple of God, he gave us more by miles than he could have ever given us if he were here face to face and just remained on earth for 2,000 years. And it was still here. Far more. And they don't understand that yet. Verse 20, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Yeah, A child could have written that or said that. But the depth of its meaning is incredible. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will and will disclose myself to him. So why don't a lot of Christians know a lot about Jesus Christ? They don't keep his commands. That's simple. None of us are perfect. Uh, But for many believers, I don't know how many, for some believers, there's no understanding of the commandments. There's no understanding of the holiness of God. And even people go to church like, well, Jesus loves me and that's good enough. And they don't understand the holiness of God and the commands of God and, the, and the, the things that they are called to do, which is a diligent struggle to do. I don't want any of that. I want to just know Jesus loves me and that's fine. But it's not fine. Because they don't know him. And as he says here, clearly... They don't love him. The close of Paul's benedict, the close of this letter, to those grace, which means favor, God's favor, to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in immortality. We say in incorruption. Right? A love that's not corrupted, a love that's pure, a love that's divine. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Judas Iscariot is already gone. Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Like, how is this going to happen? And Jesus answered and said to them, said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. With him. That's translated exactly the way it should be. Not in him, not on him, 
with him. Uh, And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And there he is in his his humility, in his humanity. And really in the Trinity. In the Trinity, the Son of God is submitting to the Father while they're co-equal and co-eternal. He's not giving up any authority. He's submitting because the Trinity has a relationship of love for all time, for all eternity. And this is what God has given us in the human race the ability to enter into a relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have had forever. It's no different, except we don't, you know, we don't have omniscience and stuff like that. But we'll have knowledge, we should have, and we'll have more for all of eternity, knowledge of the, of the members of the Trinity, their love, not some facsimile or a human imitation, their knowledge, their love, their understanding, their personality, their way, or I should say his way because they're one and three. And so, um, but notice that Jesus says, if anyone loves me and keeps my word, my father and I will love him and make our home with him. So, Paul in Ephesians 3:17 says Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith Christ at home in your hearts through faith he's really repeating in his own way this very doctrine that Jesus spoke to us in John 14 if you love me you'll keep my word and me and my father will build our house with you and so that's the same as Jesus at home in our hearts or the son of god the christ at home in our hearts Father and the Son building their home with us. Which is knowledge, faith, love, and peace. And grace to all of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in immortality. <clears throat> so let's look at it. Go back to Ephesians 6 again. Peace be to the brethren, verse 23, Ephesians 6:23. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the source of this that it's not the Holy Spirit isn't here and that's it's an intriguing thing. If we found the Holy Spirit listed in verse 23, we wouldn't bat an eye. But he's not there and, and that's because we assume, you know, the Holy Spirit has a uh, a role in the background. Uh, and so in a way, and <clears throat> this is actually quite true because Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father. So that puts the Father above him. And I'm going to pray to the Father. And then I'm, Jesus said, he's not that he didn't say I'm going to pray that he sends the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. So we have that puts the Holy Spirit below Jesus Christ. So it almost looks there's a hierarchy there. We say, well, how can they? You know, this isn't. How can that be? They're God, and all of them fully God. There isn't like 
God number one, two, and three, or the big guy and the medium guy and the little guy, or however people want to think of it. Every one of them is fully God. Infinite and eternal. So what gives there? Believe me, we can't answer most of that. But what we can answer is that the Trinity love each other. The Trinity communicate to each other with words. What language and words they use doesn't matter. Right? Because what matters is, you say, well, they probably do it telepathically, right? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? It's <clears throat> God said, let there be light. Right? Before there was any human being to speak any language, God said it. It was spoken. So God has a language. They speak to one another. They love one another. And by loving one another, they serve one another. And so for all of eternity, God has had a uh, mind that is geared towards another. The Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, the Son to the, you know, you know the Trinity. Match them all up. <laughs> I know I'd miss one or something. I don't know. But <clears throat> so you see that. And, and that's exactly what God tells us to do for one another. It's not some kind of crazy test that he's, you know, trying to say, well, what do we have him do and see who does it the best? It'll be like a game. It's nothing like that. What it is is the actual essence of God. And for all of eternity, they have served, communicated, loved, uh, been infinitely happy with one another and completely unified to the point where it's one God. Not three, but three in person. It's way over our heads. But, you know, it's okay for it to be way over our heads. Uh, (laughs) If you lived in a two-dimensional world, say the whole world was just flat, like on a piece of paper, and we were all flat, would you be able to understand a three-dimensional world? Well, how about a hundred-dimensional world? Right. We live in a three-dimensional world. You can call it four dimensions, throw in time. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, say in eternity, in God's realm, it's a million dimensions. How do we possibly see that? We couldn't remotely. So it, it, may, it make perfect sense that there's aspects of God that we couldn't remotely know. But what he has revealed, we know. So, uh, let's see. Go to... Oh, so, verse 24. Grace be to those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This is what it says literally. Grace be with all of them who are loving our Lord Jesus Christ in immortality. Uh, We just think of... The problem with just using immortality, I think, is that we just think of that as a, like a length of time. Right? If something's immortal, it doesn't die, which is true. But immortality represents, really is a word here that represents eternal life. So it's the love 
And it's not, it's not a noun here. It's those who are loving. That speaks of people. This is a participle. Uh, a participle is in, like an adjective, but it's verbal. And, and what it speaks of is, in this case, um, <coughs> a group of people, because it's plural, who love the Lord. It's not a group of what's. You know, because it, participles don't give you a whole lot of information like a subject and a verb do, but what it, what it conveys to us is a beautiful background. And, and, you know, things don't love God. People do. And so in the plural, this those who love, to all of those who love, and here's the word, is... Uh, aphtharsia, which he means immortal, imperishable, or uncorruptible. And that's the kind of love that Paul is speaking of here. Which is God's love, right? God's love, does it change? No. And <clears throat> this is a, we don't have a watered-down version of this. Christ said, Upper Room, John 13, love one another as I love you. And then it's not long after that, he's on his knees washing their feet. Right? What does this love do? It serves. Who's the greatest of you? The servant. What did Jesus do for all of us? I think, I think it was yesterday we saw that he, he given the title minister or servant. A diakonos, he's a diakonos of the entire human race. He, served, he came here to seek and to save those who were lost. He served us. And then he turns around and says, now, serve me in my way. And if you do, you see, here's the reward. You enter into the love of the Trinity. There ain't no greater place to be. If you do, by, faith, by knowledge, faith in that knowledge that develops love, all of this increases over time. It's all progressive. If you do this, you will have in your heart an incorruptible love, which is my love, God says, and it's, I'm the only one who has it. And you will enter into the home of me and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The home that we have had for all of eternity and will always have. And you will enter into it. And we, what does the human race say? Now we all do it too. From time to time, we would all agree we do it way more than we should. We think happiness is going to come from more stuff, more money, less problems, more earthly crap. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> the last day of Ephesians, I'm going to say crap. Um, more, you know, whatever. Whatever. When God is saying to us, you have me. Enter after all that Paul has written to us in this letter, which we, we would have to go over and over and over for years, which we'll come back and leave and come back. But, you know, it's, we couldn't possibly remember it all. But we'll get it there. We'll get there eventually. It's not only here. It's in other parts of the Bible, of course. And Paul is saying this last line is this, look, love, grace, favor from God will be to you who... Love Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Because when you do that, you will enter into the sphere, the home, 
the Holy of Holies of the Trinity. Like their their relationship that they've always had. And we want we say, well, yeah, that's that all sounds good. It's very spiritual, but you know, how about a little more money? How about a how about a Republican president? How many Christians would be happy if Trump got elected? A lot. Heck, I would too. I think it would be a hoot. But I don't think it's going to change anything in the progress of history. Uh, I, in fact, I know it's not. But you know, it might make our economy better or whatever. But <clears throat> what you know, what is available to every believer is more knowledge, more love, more power, more of what makes us truly happy. And we will put that aside for an election for some more cash, for lower gas prices, whatever, whatever it is. Because we're little sheep that get duped. It happens to me. If we have enough wisdom... When it happens, we catch it early. Yeah? We say we start getting like, I don't know, uh, either angry or, or you, know, you find it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us with this to say this, this, is, this is not the source of happiness. If you catch it quick, you nip it in the bud and say, well, I'm going to stop, you know, stop thinking about that. Love incorruptible. Uh, let's see. So grace here would mean favor. Right? So well, Grace always means favor. But the whole world gets the grace of God because God so loved the world. That's called, we call it common grace. Uh, the believer is graced out at the moment of salvation. But this is to those who love the Lord. And therefore, we're going a step farther. And this is grace where God gives grace to the humble, say but makes war with the proud. So this is a grace of, we would say, even though all of us have the opportunity to live in the, the life that God has given us, or the Christ to be Christ-like, but this is us accruing to our own experience in our own lives and in our own souls, the life of Christ. And it's a grace gift. This is your prayer life, being what it should be. You, meaning... Not not as a as a um, a requirement more than a uh, than a relationship. This is this is your prayer life, your understanding, your ability to handle problems, um, your ability to handle real big problems, and not lose your peace. You know, a little bit, but <laughs> you get it back, and and you're you're able to stand firm. This is you and I being able to put on the armor of God every single day and be strong, courageous, um, and to really enjoy life because of God. Uh, this, this is our understanding that happiness comes from just being with God himself and not anything else. Everything else is extra. If you have it, fine. If you don't, fine. No one's ever going to take my relationship with God away from me. No one can ever take that. And what that is, is you, you're accruing to your own life 
the ultimate of grace. It's really tasting everything that God has given you. You're thick with it, as they would say. Uh, so, let's see. I will just go to just go to 1 Corinthians 15. I think we could even close it there, because you know what this word immortality means. Uh, so, that's where this comes here. I'll just put that up and and then we'll look at some passages. 1 Corinthians 15:42. This is the same word now. But like our wonderful translators, you know, thankfully the New American Standard is a marvelous translation. But every passage we go to now is going to have this word in it. Right, this aftharsia. <clears throat> and in uh, Ephesians 6, it's translated immortality. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. This body, which we're all figuring out, right? Half the congregation is limping right now, <laughs> including me. And uh, you know, things, things are falling apart. Okay. So it's perishable. That's very obvious. Everybody dies. It is raised an imperishable body. And that's aftharsia. All right. So where it's love incorruptible, that matches resurrection body incorruptible. If you skip down to verse 50, and it shows our inheritance. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So the imperishable here is the whole kingdom. So see, when we look at, if we translate it immortal love, we think, well, it's endless love. Or, you know, at at the end of Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love never fails. Which means love is eternal. So yes, it's immortal. It, It will be... At the end of it all, it'll be the only love that exists. Human love will be long gone. But humans will love each other, but with divine love for all of eternity. The kingdom is incorruptible. The resurrection body is incorruptible. And, yeah, let's do it. Go to 2 Timothy 1. Same word now here, Second Timothy one eight. One eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all of eternity. (laughs) A gorgeous line. Salvation by grace, not by works. 
but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. That word immortality is our word, aftarsia. Uh, and therefore, Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, <clears throat> you and I have the gospel. We've believed it, and we're learning about it all the time. The gospel is ours. Uh, it's so much ours, in fact, that we can give it to others. And in that gospel is the revelation of immortality or incorruption. And so we can see, we don't have, what that means is we're not waiting for heaven to see what incorruption is or what purity is. We don't have to, we don't have to wait until we see the pearly gates and the gold streets to say, ah, oh, now I know purity. No, you, can, we, you and I can know it now through the Word of God in our relationship with Christ. Uh, and so it was brought to us and brought to light through the gospel. So, heaven is immortal and imperishable. Our love must be heaven's love, and that love must not be compromised. That's what Paul ends his letter with. Grace to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 9, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go over uh, the crown of our victorious life is called an incorruptible crown. In um, where imperishable it's called. In uh, 9.25. 1 Corinthians 9.25. <clears throat> Paul says everybody competes in the games, exercises self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable and so this, uh, what he speaks of here is our victory in life. And this is our overcoming through the same things, knowledge, faith, Holy Spirit, knowledge through the Word of God, faith in that Word, the Holy Spirit, which develops love, which develops obedience, which develops the home of the Father and the Son in our lives. We enter into that relationship. And by that power and wisdom, we overcome anything that the kingdom of darkness can throw at us. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Anything. It is more than enough, more than sufficient to overcome anything. And that crown, I wouldn't call this a particular crown, just Paul is using an analogy of the games to describe our victory. And that victory through Christ, through grace, he describes it as antharsia. Or aftharsia, I've already forgotten the word. Uh, imperishable, the same as the love. So the crown, our victory, the resurrection body, the kingdom, the inheritance, the gospel are all described by the same words. And then Paul says, love the Lord Jesus Christ like that. So that's our response to it. God gives us all of this immortal, imperishable stuff. It's not even really stuff, right? And it's not material. Even though our resurrection bodies will be material, but it's not of this world. And, but the love, the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom, the victory, that's all invisible. It's all spiritual. 
and the resurrection body will be, as Paul writes in that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, raised spiritual. And that is immortal. All of it is. And then Paul here went through this letter, and at the end of the letter, says grace, this favor, ultimate favor of God, is to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our response. Our response to him is a love that is imperishable. Not a love that is selfish. Not a love that is just after stuff. Not a love that says, well, God is just a conduit for me to get things. Uh, It's a love of him and him alone. And therefore, I need nothing else. And if, God forbid, it it doesn't happen to many people, if I had no one else, I'm completely alone. But I have him. Therefore, I'm never alone. So this is our response. The, The understanding of the whole letter of Ephesians and living in kind through that knowledge and faith and in chapters 4, 5, and 6, living in the way that it instructed us. Uh, is the way of entering into that love. I can't just say, you know, Jesus loves me, so I love him back. Well, that may be true, but do you, and he made it clear, do you keep his word? Do you keep his commands? Do you even know his commands? Do you understand them? Do you strive to keep them, even though you're a lawbreaker? Uh, and, And so the reality of this letter boils it right down to that. So we have our life on earth and heaven, our victory, our inheritance, our love are all from the same incorruptible God, so must not be corrupted by anything. Not sin, not selfishness, not anything that I want for myself. This is not about me. Remember one of the messages lately, I said none of us are important. We're not. Not one of us. Only he is. And that's what we're going to see. As we leave this now, we're going to go into prayer, and then we're going into the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's it's going to teach us the same things, but from different angles. And to open up to us that, you know, in, in our communication with God, that's why I'm doing it like this, I'm sure it's what God wants me to do, I think. <laughs> I'm sure I think that the prayer, you know, our communication with him uh, should be understood and become a habit. And then to understand where does the power to do all of this come from? Because even if I'm on board in my own mind to do this, I'm like, I get it. I really want to do it. But if I lack the power and ability not going to happen and I'll get very discouraged Uh, and so we've got to make sure that we understand that by faith and obedience we know and this gives us confidence that God the Holy Spirit is going to give us every knowledge and power to do exactly what we're called to do you know without exception he will do it and we know he will and this gives us confidence even though We're not cocky about it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this amazing book. It's been a long time getting through it. And with the length of time, 
I'm sure all of us have forgotten things. Um, it's not like we could recite everything in it. But we trust, Father. We're not asked by you to be perfect in all things, but to be perfect in knowledge is our goal, although we know that we have a long way to go. Uh, so we ask, Father, by your Spirit and by your grace that the things that we have learned would come to our remembrance when we need it and that we would apply that truth and understand it so that we can do that. We, ask, we thank you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.